Angelo Viscoso has time in the restaurant business. Frankie Finucci's has built a brand and is notable through the Westchester area, but there's a lot more to this story. Starting with the waterfront lipstick job at 25, being dropped into the ownership fire can teach you a lot about dealing with pressures. This is on the record with Angelo Viscoso, owner of Frankie and Finucci's. I had a restaurant in Brooklyn looking to expand. And, uh, you know, as a kid, I always used to go to Italy. And the pizzerias there are a lot different than they are here. They're serving, you know, really fresh ingredients, as most stuff is over there, as everything is local. And uh, it was a lot of small plates. And, like, man, this is like the way you sh- a pizzeria should be. So we were looking for a concept to kind of uh, grow. We figured, hey, that's a cool concept, you know, bring some fresh ingredients, small menu, small plates, kind of. And um, and that's how it started, you know. And, and we, uh, you know, obviously with the wood-fired brick oven was kind of just coming in, too, at that point. I think we were one of our first guys in this area in Hartsdale. I think Frank Pepe's just opened up, like, right before us, but... You know, for the most part, we were kind of like one of the first ones out there um, in, in, you know, Lower Westchester. And that's how the uh, concept came up, basically, just going back to Italy and, and uh, what they used to do over there. You were fortunate, there. too, though, in the time that your business came along and it was set up, was Instagram was just taking off. It was like pictures were becoming the thing. And the fact that nobody else was really doing these these uh, these fire pizzas were it was showcased almost where people were seeing this and they said, "Wait, that looks way better." And previous to that, we were looking at shit like Domino's yeah. and like these pizzas that just they they're the pizzas that you grew up with, but they didn't have that char to them. They didn't have that little sex appeal. You wanted to see that little burn mark that kind of existed, and through those photos, you kind of could tell, "Hey, we're going into a different era of." quality food and different pizzas or a different style pizza that's kind of coming together yeah absolutely i mean obviously what they say you eat with your eyes first right so obviously you look at those nice charred pies and um it just makes you want to go try it and have it and especially at that time where it wasn't so common now i feel like it's almost everywhere uh you know who do we really com- you know cpk was there at the time um, but they weren't really getting that char. They were cooking at a gas-fired oven. They weren't getting that that uh, visual that we would get out of our pies. So now once you know you're one of the first guys in Lower Westchester with this wood-fired pizza oven, did you start trying to build a menu around having that oven? Is there other items that you showcase coming out of that hot oven? You know, what's funny is that Hardstyle Location was a restaurant. We went in there. We took the kitchen out of it, and we put in an 8,000-pound wood-fired oven. Mm. And we opened up with salads, pizza. I mean, we even had a soup on a menu that we made in a brick oven. Okay. Uh, probably one of the first ones you <laughs> that has happened. But uh, everything cool. was great. Limited menu. It worked out great. And then we found, you know, like anything else, right? Everybody wants to, like, grow, right? You want to push and you want to see your increasing sales. So everybody kind of goes to, all right, we're going to expand the menu. So what do we do? We put a kitchen back in. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, it just... Um, it was just a tough it was kind of funny how we had to take out the kitchen and put it back in just yeah. to get to where we started from. That, those lessons you learn along the way that 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 do. space has its own challenges too though because it's a it's a rec- rectangleish square almost and the kitchen that you put in it's a tight little quarter space that everyone's putting out food and you know you should see how packed this place would be and the little kitchen that could was just like trucking out all these orders nonstop. Uh, it was crazy to see it happen. And it was crazy to see how they were able to keep up with the volume of the location itself. I mean, it was bustling. How many tables were in Hartsdale? There were like 22 tables. We sat about 70 uh, people. Yeah, and, and then, significant size. So basically, you're taking that, and then now you design a restaurant not to have a kitchen. Right, it's just a, a brick oven, yeah. and now you got to put in a whole line, right? You got to put in a, you know, a six burner stove, a fryer, um, whatever, a pasta cooker because we do a lot of pasta, and you don't want to lose any seats because yeah. seats are revenue, Ooh. right? So we, that's why it was so crammed. Well, the dish, fortunate dish thing pit of, was like three by three, like yeah. it was the tightest quarter you ever seen. Yeah, and the fortunate thing about that location that had a full basement. So we did a lot of our prep down there, our walk-in box. Um, you know, even our three-compartment sink was downstairs where 
you know, the uh, the dishes, you know, the dishwasher machine for dishes and glasses were upstairs just because we wanted to reduce the amount of, you know, going up and down as possible. Yeah. Because that equals the dollars, right? It's labor. Yeah. More labor. How many items were, you think, on that menu about? Originally? Well, when the kitchen got put back in. Uh, we probably had about a dozen pastas. Uh, we started with just pastas, you know, then you had your probably a dozen appetizers, um, half a dozen salads, and then, you know, you list about a dozen specialty pizzas. When it comes time to deciding on, I mean, you and your partner decided on the name together to some extent, yeah. uh, maybe back and forth, a couple names in the hat before deciding on something. Where's Frankie Fenucci's come from? You know, it was uh, when we went to design a place we had a designer help us out with it actually actually they designed it we helped them out basically Um, you know it turned out to be like a turn of the century kind of decor so we try to fit in okay what does a turn of a century kind of name work and like Fenucci's you know it's kind of a name that you haven't heard in a while so you know and then kind of Frankie just went with it and um, it just sounded better than our names yeah I mean (laughs) certainly clean cut and the graphic and the logo and the way it's built out, everything does pull back together. Like a lot of times you see people put something together and it turns out to kind of just look like mishmash where they didn't have the full idea and then build around it. Uh, you know, as from a graphic design standpoint, when you look at the lettering, like the font just used for it kind of ties everything back in together too. It's yeah. clean, but it's still got a little bit of old school with yeah. a very clean modern aesthetic to it. Yeah, like there's the lightest touch of yeah. sophistication to yep. it. Yeah, it's yeah. like, no, it's not just pizza. You're going to eat this pizza with a pinky out a little bit. A little bit, bit of class, yeah. yeah totally. In, in fact, when we opened when we opened this location, you guys were across the street, looked at that sign, when we were trying to figure out our sign, we were like, well, you had a different one. You had the one painted on yeah, the wall. Yeah, we had someone uh, kind of painted on the, it on, yeah. on the brick, right? And we were yeah. like, we want to do that same exact sign, but our landlord wouldn't let us paint on the brick. <laughs> Yeah. So it died. Or you could have made the mistake that we did and said that we would restore it back to its original when oh. we leave. <laughs> so that's just that's just hanging over my head. <laughs> the quote unquote mistake. Like, so having the history in the restaurant business, though, period, and having a restaurant prior to Frankie and Finucci's, like, what do you take? What do you learn from going through that? And considering that the previous restaurant was kind of a waterfront spot, it's a whole type of different business. Yeah. So it's interesting to pivot, though, off the waterfront into a landlocked area, too, where obviously your food items are going to be a little bit different. The feel and the vibes going to be a little bit different, too. Yeah, I think, well, my first restaurant, the waterfront one that you're referencing, um, that kind of just, it wasn't a concept that we kind of came up with it was almost it developed over time right it was a location that came you know across you know my desk so to speak because I wasn't really in the business um, I grew up in a business then I was an engineer uh, for a few years um, and then I got dragged back in um, so that location came up and like wow great waterfront location we kind of kind of hacked it together lipstick job you know I was 25 years old Really never have been in a restaurant per se business. I was more like in the pizza business. Um, you know, there was no liquor. I had to learn all that uh, on the way. So it was, it was kind of something that just evolved where Frankie and Finucci was more of a concept that said, hey, you know, here's a concept that we kind of developed and then where do we put it? Now, you know, this is, you're talking about 2008. You know, 2008 was right before the crash, right? We could not find a location. Like, literally, we were knocking on people's doors saying, hey, you want to leave? There was just nothing available. Um, and we went, like, pretty far. I mean, we went up all up to Fairfield, Connecticut. Um, so, basically, we knew we wanted to be in a suburban kind of market. Uh, it was kind of like the concept of Frankie and Finucci's. So, we lit Lower Westchester all the way up to Fairfield, Connecticut. And we've hit a lot of places. And it probably took us about a year. Um, that's when that location opened up. And... Uh, we wound up having to buy it to really just gut it out just because we needed a lease. There were no leases. Do you think it took that long also because 2008 internet wasn't still kind of set up as efficiently as it is now to just go find somebody that's looking to get rid of their location or, you know, lose yeah, their I lease? Yeah, I think obviously the line of communication today is so much, so much easier, quicker. Um, you know, back in the day, you, would, you know, you rely on, you know, salesmen to yeah. kind of give you the inside scoop. Uh, yeah. Because most places will be get souped up before or, it even yeah. hits the market. 
kind of thing. Or you'd have to have one real estate guy and just trust that he's going to show you all the right places. Exactly. Sure. And you just referred to, you know, doing the lipstick job to put this thing together before you came into Frankie and Finucci's, which then, of course, was a concept. Uh, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with, you know, doing a lipstick job on a spot, slap some paint on it, bring it up to speed a little. Like, I think there's still ways that you could build a concept from that. Uh, I'm just wondering maybe then at that point, if it was still so early in the game or early in your experience at that point of restaurants where you said, all right, no, we need to lean towards doing concepts, like conceptual things, because then we can build it, scale it out, sell it eventually down the road. For- that was that was the goal, right? We wanted a multi-unit. It was, it was intention from day one to be a multi-unit concept. So every decision we made was how do we do, how do we operate this on multiple units? And it came down to like, you know, the menu, just having recipes documented. Um, obviously, like you mentioned, that the kitchen was really small. That Timing. probably ended up being a good thing for you because you learned how to be, like, exactly. economize your space. For real. Yeah, so we relied on spot. systems more yeah. than, let's say, my first location where I relied more on people, right? And it was the chef in the kitchen or... Um, the prep guy and when you have change in staff you know you kind of go through some bumps where yeah, you do. it was less <laughs> yeah well, you, you always go through bumps but yeah. then you really go through bumps when you don't when have a recipe systems rely when you don't have a recipe for up. that tiramisu that the guy just quit on you right yeah. um, wait how did he make that people yeah. love <laughs> so so it was a little different there but you know going back to lipstick job I mean it worked for me in Brooklyn because I was I strapped it together I didn't have much 25 years old you know, it started out, you know, it, it grew over the years, but it was just a pretty decent sized place and I, I didn't have much to put into it as far as dollars. When you say it grew over the years, so it didn't, it didn't have 250 seats right in the beginning? No, it was a smaller, they had like an outdoor deck. Okay. Um, that, you know, listen, we're in New York, it doesn't really last, you don't get many seasons out of it. So we enclosed that and we made it almost like a four seasons room. Uh, but still had a feel of an outdoor space with a tent, the natural light. You know, people come in dead of winter with snow outside and say, I want to sit outside. Hmm? You know, so that works. Sounds familiar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, the lipstick job, we had a place up in um, Bedford Hills. You know, walked into a beautiful place. I'm like, wow, this place is beautiful. We don't have to do anything here. And we went in there, we changed the name, you know, changed the menu, obviously. And it was a total failure. So I think just because the people were so used to seeing it that there was nothing new and exciting for them. So there has to be a certain level of, of lipstick to be put on because you can't just go in there, change the name, and expect to you know, win everybody over. You, you refer to Bedford Hills. Like from my pers- perspective, like Bedford Hills is a smaller area. It's not as busy. I, I feel like it's... There's got to be less population than Mamaroneck. Yeah, it was probably down Kisco border. Like we were literally on like the border, so we, our address was Bedford Hills, but it was we were basically considered Mount Kisco. You know, we talked to Thomas Kelly, Mexico, a couple episodes back too, and uh, he certainly said that, you know, the concept could be right, but the place could be wrong, and it doesn't really make the concept uh, a failed concept by any means. It was just maybe in the the wrong placement. Yeah. And we talked to him about how he selects the areas that he yeah. goes through, and I think he I recalled him saying something about just looking at the data points. It's like, we're in a different world now too where data commands everything. And you know, if you just go on USPS.com, you can log in on the back end and just see how much money everyone makes in a specific zip code. And then if you want to target them, you can just send them postcards. That's it's not that, that expensive. Yeah, that's where we're at now where it's so much easier. Like I, I told you guys, we did that demographic report in the Rochelle and he just pulled up 10 years of history. And he's like, these are everybody that walked through your doors in the last 10 years and yeah. where they came from and where their house was and where their thing. Yeah, we've been doing that marketing for probably from day one. Um, I think I actually designed a postcard at some point that went out from you guys. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're saying too is that's part half of it, right? So identifying where you want to be, but just like you said with covering up the whole place because we looked at, remember I was telling you, we looked at White Plains where Brother Jimmy's used to be, right? And we love the space on the corner and everything, but we're another barbecue concept. Yeah. There's only so much you could do to change public perception of the space that right. already exists. So we were like, we can't go in here right now. And they're like, well, you guys are better than Brother Jimmy's. Said, yeah, but it's Brother Jimmy's. An uphill like, we have to yeah. like wash this place of Brother Jimmy's. Otherwise, yeah. we're just going to walk in and be like, it's still Brother Jimmy's. So that, 
at least what you were just saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good point, Just. And I'm no stranger to the the battle of perception of places that have stained uh, their reputation over the years. And you're correct that you would definitely have a fight on your hands, but I think it, it could be one that could win. I mean, Smokehouse is a strong enough brand, too, where you could tell that there's some quality to it. It's clean enough. Least resistance. Sure. <laughs> Path of I, I least know. resistance. I just, I, I like doing it to <laughs> go, myself. Go for low-hanging fruit. <laughs> yeah. uh, Angela, you said, though, you said, too, though, that your system's forward, which is awesome, because that's how you scale. And yeah. at some point, too, though, we obviously still need the people to perform and be there and be trained correctly. And that still ties back to the systems, the training manual or something of that nature. And to be systems forward, a lot of times I would think that you are kind of data focused on the things that you're putting together or you're already looking down the road at the problems that could be had if you don't set up to scale correctly. And in being able to put together a handful of different restaurants like this, like your, your systems have to be already together. Yeah, I mean, listen, like I said, you know, we, the systems are there, but it also the people that run the place, the managers, have to believe in those systems. Because we've seen it where we would come in, they'd ask you, yeah, 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 we're doing this, we're doing that, we're doing that. And the next thing you know, you know, the binders like as greasy it can be in, in the bottom corner not being used. So it, the systems have to be there, but you also have to police it and you have to make sure they're using them. Sure. I, also, it's one thing too to, you know, be behind the scene putting the system together. And then when it's actually being used, you still need to get the feedback from those using it to say, where are the efficiencies that I missed? Because there's always something you weren't paying attention to or focused on that when it's in actual real time usage, they're like, this isn't even feasible. Like, we yeah, can't absolutely. actually maintain doing this because this doesn't make sense or this doesn't make sense. And I'm sure you've seen that in changing designs over and over again. Like, you know, the front takeout area, which is, it doesn't look like it's there right now. Huh? No, it's there. It is. It's a big okay. stand, right? What do you Wasn't mean? It, it was in the back at some point before you said, let's move this thing to the front. No. Yeah. Well, no, it wasn't I think always, I was in the always in the I think I was in the back before you built this no, he's, thing. Yeah, okay. But, that, not, that's but right now, it's front. Front. but at some point you realized that there was an efficiency that could. We been were doing better. takeout from the bar back then. Yeah, but because we thought we wanted people to walk walk through, the, the, walk through the restaurant, it was a good idea. Thing. It made sense. But then we were like, "This is too many people walking through the restaurant." It's, it's not the most efficient. Yeah, we we haven't learned that one yet. Our pickup station <laughs> still all the way in the back of the restaurant. It's a good idea. Probably in ten years from now, I'll figure <laughs> that one out. Well, it's funny. We were just cruising around Long Island, and well, we had to out. lose a table to do that. So I had to pull a table. So it was six seats. We had to pull out. That was a revenue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but look at what it's done, though. Now you have a full-fledged hostess stand that people are able to see when they walk right into the building. Ask me on Friday night if I would rather have those. Uh, of course you would rather. Yeah, build another restaurant, right? You'll, you'll fix the problem. Uh, but cruising through Long Island, sure enough, we went and go sat out of spot. And, of course, right in the front, there was a little pickup area, similar counter that he's just put up in the front. And I said... Look at that. There you go. Pickup counter. People were coming in, grabbing it. They were just leaving very quickly and efficiently. Like, that makes you happy, I think, when you're picking something up. Like, streamlining yeah. something for the user to make as easily accessible is, I think, what creates the person coming back again and again. Actually, now that you say that, I think that was the catalyst because we switched to the online ordering where they paid everything so it was straight pickups. So they didn't have to go to the bar and pay. And so that's thing, why we moved it up there. The other thing to consider, too, is, you know, the people are dining here having people just walk to a restaurant standing there. Yeah. Like, you know, you, Friday night, we'll have a bunch of people online waiting to, to pick up just because there's a certain time to process them. Um, so it's right in the middle of your dining room. Yeah. So we kind of get away with it there just because it's a kind of a, fa you know, kind of a casual atmosphere. But, um, but yeah, it always can be better. Where are you at with the third-party ordering apps like Grubhub or so, Uber Eats? Uh, yeah, we, I hate Grubhub. Um, Same. It's just, listen, in a city, it's dependent on Grubhub. We've tried every which way to kind of get away from them, and just the sales go down when you don't, we're not on that platform. You know, everything from incentivizing them to order direct. Uh, we use Chow Now to kind of help, because you know, we use Aloha, and, you know, they charge an arm and a leg for, uh, for online ordering, but... So we use Chow now and try to get direct orders that way, and it just couldn't get it going. Yeah. Um, you know, here we're lucky enough in Frankie and Finucci's to have a good 
base of customers that order online. Um, but yeah, I think if you're able, like especially today with Toast and all these other POS systems, they have like white label apps. We used to use a system called Revention, another concept that was great. You know, you go in there, you make a menu change, it had a white label app, you kind of design it yourself. You didn't need a whole graphics design team to do it. Um, and But at the end of the day, you need the business coming in. Yeah. But the problem is, is that you can't afford to give up that, that percentage. Like we looked at a concept in Manhattan, there's a, you know, a chicken place and they were doing 50% of their business on Grubhub and they were literally going bankrupt. They were losing money just because, and they were paying for it too. So it wasn't like they were, you know, 16, 17%. They were, they were at like a 30% mark plus. And obviously the numbers don't work, right? You're going to give up 30 plus percent or 50% of your business. That's 15% of the bottom line. That's usually your bottom line. It's crazy, and, and that circles back to different concepts and ways that execution happens in different spaces that it just can't work everywhere. Like, yeah, a, yeah it, obviously it brings a ton of people in through the city using these apps because you've got millions just touching their phone. Yeah, it's right? convenient for them, right? Out here, I mean, you know, it seems like Justin's done decently here trying to train everybody to just order direct and order through the website. And fortunately, he started doing that before the pandemic occurred. So people were already being trained. So it kind of just helped fortify when the pandemic did help where, yeah, you're able to shut these things down. But there's definitely so many different restaurant concepts and areas where you need to depend on still the third party as much as we hate giving up that money to it. Yeah, so we did. I mean, you know, thankfully, like I said, we had a, a good delivery business and that was like the saving grace through the pandemic. Because if you had, if you were somewhat set up, you know, you took off. If you were really set up, you really killed it. Um, but we actually went the other way. We actually got rid of Grubhub during the pandemic. Nice. We just cut them out altogether because there was just it was all takeout business. And not that you, you know, not that I want to refuse business, but at the same time, I just didn't have the staff to basically fulfill the orders. So we had so much demand on our own platform that we didn't need to use them and give up that that commission fee have you have they robbed your website yet <laughs> you know they you know the big one that robs it is uh slice mm. slice well, you know, i'm talking about grubhub literally commandeered our website like they registered a domain name that that's what like, slice does yeah it says like frankie yeah that's what yeah. they'll they'll slice is like the grubhub for a pizza place oh, okay. pizza. Yeah. yeah unbelievable they, they just do it all the time so they, they made just, a frankiefinucci's.com and it's really slice and yeah, it goes they're, they're pretty brazen about it too because they, they say uh, we only go after pizza places because they don't have time to make up a, an online presence for themselves so we'll do it and all your favorite pizza places are on their app they're like really forward about gathering huh. all the yeah. pizza place data and like showing it to you in one place the fact that we're young enough to know how the internet works and knowledgeable enough too and we're starting to see these trends happen and these things change I mean you could easily be in the hole 1200 bucks a year on website domain names because you've got to make sure that you've got every single backing of your website, period, before somebody else takes it. I'm and sure then you, you heard the article about uh, the guy in Google in Argentina who stole Google Argentina's donate domain. Oh, and then like had them do donation yeah. to get it back, to get it back a big them. donation yeah. somewhere. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, stealing websites is not new by any means. I've yeah. definitely... Uh, armed myself with a handful of website domains. I've got 32 of them. Uh, Some of them are close to brands. Some of them are not brands. And it's not new. This isn't weird. Um, I once actually purchased a website from somebody and then sent them a pitch on how I could run their website business. And I said, listen, don't worry. I just took it off the market. I'm going to give it to you back regardless. There's no issue. And I put a proper pitch together and I said, this is what I think that we can make on this website off of advertising. You don't have something right now. I'm willing to do all the work for a small percentage. You're like an ethical hacker. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just a guy. I hacked you. He's like, I took your shit, but I'm going to give it back. (laughs) Just to show you. So so, uh, aside from the delivery apps and whatnot, you moved on to a truck at one point then, the pizza truck. Yeah, so the you know the brick and mortar, the Frankie and Fiducci's concept. Um, you know, we were looking to see how could we expand. We kind of like everybody else hit our bumps in the road, and uh, the truck really didn't start as a truck. It started as we wanted to find a location um, that was highly visible, and obviously not so much rent. 
right? So we were thinking, hey, man, these shopping centers have huge parking lots, and most of them are not even used, right? So obviously, it's not new, right? They have pad sites, right? Starbucks, uh, whatever, quick serve is usually up there. So like, oh, man, we can, we can figure out how to take a... We originally thought it was as a trailer, but we we're going to do these trailers that just drop them down on a, you know, a foundation on a parking lot in a shopping center on a high visible road and it would be great you know it was a pizza concept obviously because that's what we do and uh it was just hard to find a location it's hard to get the landlords to commit to doing that and it was kind of costly you know you start bringing in utilities and whatnot so i'm like god oh, man what happens if it had wheels and we just you know just disappear at night we just park there during the day and then at night you know kind of go home and Go to a commissary. I like, I like the reference of just disappearing. Yeah. At night. Yeah. Then we just disappear. <laughs> so it was great, except we couldn't get over the mental barrier of people thinking of us as a same location every day. It wasn't like Manhattan where you go to 57th Street and 5th Avenue and you yeah. know that guy is there every yeah. day. It doesn't work that way in the summer. And we were up in Stanford um, and it just it was hard you know, to educate the customer base is expensive, right? To educate them, to let them think that we're your neighborhood pizza spot. Where we were actually delivering, we had delivery guys come to the truck and deliver out. Yeah. So that was the whole concept. So even though it had wheels, we didn't operate it as if it had wheels. Do you think you were too early at that point with that? 100%. I mean, now I feel like everyone's trained, right? 100%. Like they, they know what to do and they know yeah. the drill. Especially up in Stanford, Connecticut, where... You know, if we would have been in, in the five boroughs, you know, probably would have had a better shot at it. But being that we're up in Stanford, there wasn't many food trucks at the time. Most of them were, were known for like these, you know, late night bar eats. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was just, you know, tough. And and I know that you, in your last podcast uh, with Mexico, they, uh, you know, there's a lot of challenges with, with uh, you know, the food trucks. And coming from, like they went from, food truck to brick and mortar we're going from brick and mortar to food truck like who wants to deal with a generator or a flat tire or all this stuff like you know and then we're leaving right so if your staff is like five minutes late you can't leave you gotta wait for them because they're coming there you know it's your pickup location there are definitely interesting problems that occur i, I was with my buddy kev the other day who has a food truck and he walked into the back of the kitchen looking super greasy and dirty and i was like you working with us tonight he goes, no, man, damn truck. I got to fix a piece that just burst on me. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, this is just a piece of it, knowing that he has to go out tomorrow and show up at, a, you know, a different brewery or whatever the location is. It's like we learn how to fix fridges and stuff like that. Yeah. When you have a truck, now you're a mechanic. Too. Yeah, it's, it's tough. But it's for the birds. I, I couldn't deal with it. It was just too many moving parts. We always thought it would be a good idea to have a truck to test out new locations. New locations. So if you're, like, thinking about, Hey, we might be able to do there. You could send your truck before you, you know. 100%. That was obviously, yeah. Listen, I wish I had a truck now during a pandemic. <laughs> I was like, I wish I could get it back. So so look at this too, though. You're coming from the Frankie and Finucci's in the Hartsdale uh, area. You look to go into the city as we say, maybe there's more bodies. Let's bring it down here where it's completely chaotic. There's going to be so much more volume and let's get into the city yep. landscape. I mean, you talk to guys that have establishments out here in Westchester and outside the city, and they're like, I want nothing to do with the city. It's a whole different beast. I don't know how to read it, gauge it. I don't know. The prices are crazy on rent. At what point were you just confident to, and also backscale, starting this at 25, like coming into this business and learning so much just going forward, as nuts as it is. It seems like it's a whole nother tier to then enter into the city landscape where it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, you know, I've seen it where you talk to someone and you tell them you're in a restaurant business and then they're like, you know, you tell them you have a location in the city. It's like, oh, you have a location in the city. Like, that. meanwhile, I'm thinking it's like the same shit. It's like <laughs> I do the same thing I do in Westchester. I do in the city. Um, but, yeah, I mean, listen, it's, it's definitely harder, I think, in certain – you're either going to pay big rent – to be in that A location, and it takes out a lot of the marketing, like anywhere else, or B, you're gonna take a side street and rely on pulling people. And it's really what you're good at. Like, you know, some people aren't good at marketing and, and they're good operators, and people say, hey, listen, if you put a bunch of people at my door, 
I'll win them back. I'll, they'll come back here and I'll build a business. You know, some people like, I'm not going to pay the rent. I know how to bring people here. People are going to come and have my, you know, pizza. Um, yeah, that's t- Thomas Kelly did say that too. He said, I don't do the side A. I do the side B street. Right. Like, you know, the, it's still close. It's still close enough to get some traction on it and do what we could do marketing wise. But I'm not paying the rent on side A. It doesn't make sense. You know, I think you really got to take a look at it and see the amount of money that you put into the advertising. I think it basically evens out to the rent. We've always we've had that side A B conversation a lot. It's sure. the first time I, you know, thought about it that way. Or saying rationalize that. You way, know, yeah. the marketing, the the two are related, right? So okay. I I never really thought of it that way. When we're thinking, how strong are you to pull? But it is it is a marketing play. Yeah. But I guess if you make a strong enough brand, you can even go to side C. Well, and like outback, right? Outback is <laughs> right. like in a, in a deep corner of the right, right. of the uh, whatever the shopping center. It's the one I the one I, I worked at Outback when I started, and the <laughs> one that I worked at was on the basement floor in White Plains yeah. on the sh- in in like the service road in between the hotel and they cranked and, and it was the busiest place. <laughs> <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> How important is then building a brunch, uh, a brunch that's popularized? It's popular. People want to come to it. They want to have mimosas all morning and, you know, whatever else they're drinking yeah, to care of the dog. That was like, that hit out of the park for us. I mean, we we rebranded that. So How did the idea just come along? It was actually a manager that was there at the time. Um, she actually wasn't in the business, and we just hired her. She was an assistant manager, but she was, like, marketing and um, really sharp, sharp girl. And, and we were coming up with this concept of Soto 13 in a city, and, you know, it came all together with the design and just being able to look at your demographic and say, hey, you know, we're, we're targeting, you know, 30 to 40 year olds, mostly female in that area. Um, so like brunch is a hit. So we put together this boozy brunch. And the biggest thing with brunch, and I think we didn't even know it at the time, is that that location has a skylight in it. You need natural daylight. You do. You just, without the natural daylight, it's hard to get the brunch going. So that location was just kind of given. We didn't even know it. We just kind of fell on it by accident. Um, and it just took off. And that was like probably a good portion of this, the reason why we were successful in that location. And then from the brunch, it went to happy hour. We had a you know really busy happy hour. You can't even walk in a place. Um, and it just, you know, we just maintained it year after year. My girlfriend just yelled at me because I put a thousand watt light bulb in my office area, and she was like, "It's like the fucking sun in here." And I was like, "Yeah, but look how efficient I am. Like, I feel like it's the morning all the That's time." Way to do it. Like, let's go. But I, so with the boozy brunch and that taking off, and you just said what I was going to ask you too. It trickled into the happy hours, and you saw the business kind of lift up a little bit from that. I mean, that's marketing in itself. Every single person that comes out, and they're taking videos, like you said, that skylight provides a beautiful little uh, area oh, yeah, of natural great. light it's coming in. It's great for social media. Totally. So, yeah. you know, at this point, too, then people are starting to use their phones. The cameras are a little bit better. It's an easy way for people to find out about businesses that they didn't know existed before. And then next thing you know, you click on to the name of the place, and you say, wow, I got to try this for Boozy Brunch. Like, this looks like they're having the time of their life that like super works in your favor and it's crazy too because when we put these businesses together and these concepts and ideas and events everything has to line up perfectly like there's no room for error in in any of this like the phones on the camera have to be just great enough the social media apps that people are using have to adhere to people posting videos and content like this and like I mean, just we're up to 10,000 people on the Smokehouse Instagram now, according to the counter. Plus, need another four this morning. See, like, but these are the things that are marketing for us in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have a conversation too a lot about Instagram and Facebook kind of being a gatekeeper to your ability to advertise because they want you to pay money. With that being said, I'm definitely a champion promoter of email lists. Is this something that Frankie Fanucci has been doing for some time? Yeah, I mean, we've we've always kind of had a good email list. I mean, actually, when we first opened up Hartsdale, before we even opened, we had a big, you know, banner on a, on a storefront saying, hey, sign up for our email list and get a free pie when we open. Awesome. There you go. And that was a big, you know, we must have had a couple thousand registrations. <laughs> yeah. Then I'm like, how am I going to fulfill a couple <laughs> thousand pies? So we sent them out in waves. 
Yeah. People calling up like, hey, where's my free pizza? Oh, you're on a list. You're going to get it in like a week. So it didn't work. Awesome. We're cooking That's a lot of pies. marketing, yeah. Yeah. You could have turned that into like a secondary thing too. Like so many people got pizza. We're doing thousand pies. Well, that's what we did. That's what we told them. We like yeah. <laughs> we had to like spread out over six weeks. So the like to me, the best part about email marketing is that it's essentially free, minus whatever you're paying, whoever the facilitator is of sending those things out. Yeah, like a mail Mailchimp or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, and if your list is big enough too, one proper email blast that goes out. People are calling you. They're coming in. They're ordering things. I would suspect, um, similar to any product that you get an email from, minus things like Target, which are just turn and burn. They know people are getting rid of the subscription to the email every time that they get it. But then people are ordering, and they get reapplied onto the subscription of the email. Um, I just started using one called Clavio, and Clavio is seems like it's the automation is excellent to the point where everything is an automated funnel. So Clavio breaks up everybody's segments on their own without you having to actually do any of the breaking up yourself. So if somebody orders something from me, they go into a separate list funnel. Now they ordered. So now I can send them out a separate email as somebody that's already become a customer of ours and we want to turn them into a loyal follower of the brand. If they have not ordered, they could get a different email that's trying to lead them in, possibly with a discount, start training them to use our product or, you know, facilitate the transaction itself. So, like, it seems even going through Spotify and listening to some of these podcasts out there of people that are email marketing experts, they've turned brands into million-dollar brands just based upon the funnels and the way that they fulfill their emails going out to people and they wind up getting them on board and I'm just I'm wondering then say you've got 10,000 people on your email list or maybe 5,000 people on the email list you know how many of those people are actually opening up the mail and how many of those people are you paying for that have never come in that maybe don't have any interest they just haven't hit the unsubscribe button and like to cut these costs you got to eliminate these people that way your list percentage is a higher percentage of openers because constant contact and google and all these people they see that they see that people aren't opening the mail and that maybe you just have a big list and it's irrelevant so you get bounced in a lot of senses You're saying just keep a more accurate list yeah you have to Separate actually lists. get people off your list is the goal i'd rather yeah. have a list of 200 people that all order pizza from me than have a 500 a uh, 5,000 person list yeah. with only 300 people ordering pies. Yeah, so we, we did like a, like a 30, 60, 90 kind of thing. So customer hasn't been to us in 30 days. They'd get an email saying, hey, you know, haven't seen you this month. You know, here's a free bag of Zeppelin or whatever. Well, then free he goes, bag of Zeppelin? <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the 30 day giveaway. That's the 30 <laughs> one. Then you go to 60 days and then, you know, you up your offer a little bit and then the 90 day if they haven't come been. in and collect a thousand dollars so and then after the 90 days we kind of maybe do it another run like 180 day but then that's it they're off the list um as far as yeah. marketing goes like what is your personal favorite as far as seeing a return on investment listen you know when we won the best of westchester we used to do like a one dollar pizza kind of day so pie a or pie. slice Pie. So, well, like, I, thanks. Wasn't on, I wasn't on that list. Yeah, you know, we were I, not listen, on that if list. You would, <laughs> if you were on email list, you would have got it. But um, so, as a thank you to all our customers that voted for us, we would do a, a like a one day event, one dollar pies, personal pizza, and that was you would think like, man, we're gonna lose our shirts. But besides doing pizza at one dollar, it was the highest grossing day sales that we would do. I was gonna say, how many people came in and ordered other things yeah, on top of that? Exactly. Just because well, especially they were if, there. if you're going across the street, you guys got that beer system there. It's fucking beautiful. You get a yeah. dollar pie, you're just gonna and sit there and to pound beers. Exactly. Before we jump into that tattoo, because we gotta talk heavily yeah. about that too. Yeah, yeah. Are you familiar with tattoo shops? Anybody? Like their existence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You see them? Yeah. What's the tattoo you ever show? see the lines outside on Friday the 13th? Oh. They do $13, they do $13 <laughs> tattoos. Yeah. Small little tattoos you select from a book. You don't get to do anything crazy and custom. Yeah. But the lines are around the block nonstop. Yeah. That, you just kind of said like the best marketing, uh, not gimmick of all time, but like uh, the best marketing way is to be like, hey, 
It's fucking Frankie and Fanucci's three dollar pies on every you know right, Wednesday 13th. the tenth or yeah, you, you know whatever up, it is. You gave up extra. We had dollar pies and you gave them extra two three dollars. Two dollars. <laughs> well, like, I would still be happy to pay three dollars. <laughs> like and you know what? It dough. didn't work as well if you gave it away for free. I believe it. <laughs> What's wrong with the pie? Why are they giving it away for free? Exactly. Who needs help? This is Bob's Burgers over here. So that's what happened. We, we originally opened up and we were handing out free pies. Had a customer call me and said, "Hey, listen, if you guys are willing to give me a free pie." It's either really, really good or really, really bad that you have to give it away. It's like, I'm going to give it a shot. And she wound up being a regular customer. But. That's comical. Good. Oh, I'm talking about the tap yeah, system. Yeah, take right. it. <laughs> I know so, you wanted to get it out. Yeah, yeah. you guys have this magical tap system over there. It's the first uh, self-serve tap system in Lower Western, correct? Uh, I was, uh, as far as like in a full service capacity, yeah. I think there was like one other place around here that had a small version of it. I remember when you guys were opening up with that tap system, we were in the kitchen here just like anxiously awaiting the day. We can walk across the street and pour our own beers. Yeah. Worked out great. I mean, listen, we were looking to put a bar into the restaurant um, and we figured, you know, what are we going to do different with a bar? It's going to be like any other bar on the block. So came up with this tap, you know, concept and we looked at the technology of it and seemed like it makes sense. I'm not a beer guy. I was never a beer guy. And I would not ever order a beer. But now, <laughs> being able to taste different exactly. beers, I kind of know, like, hey, man, I, these beers are good. Like, it's, You're you know, able to taste your way through it, exactly, no pressure. Yeah. Exactly. You just basically announce here, two ounces there, and you kind of really can taste things that you normally would never taste before. So it worked out great for us. I mean, it really, we needed a boost in the arm, and that gave it to us. We probably, figured out beer sales. Our overall sales were up over 30%. Um, just an overall. That was, that was a pretty big install. It wasn't just putting the, big know, putting the fridges in there because you guys ripped up the whole front. Yeah. And redid well, the we whole were doing area, right? we were doing a renovation anyway. Okay. All right. right? Yeah. So that wasn't because of that. We were doing a bar area. You know, we we kind of the original design of the place wasn't didn't work out for us with the front, um, and everybody wanted to sit in the back of the restaurant. So the front the restaurant always looked empty, which is really important when you're designing a place. Is that you want to have people want to sit in the front of the restaurant not in the back um so that's what we did that we re, you know rearranged our entrance and kind of put the tap room up front and uh but the beer system itself i mean it consists of a kegerator right so it's it's like any other beer system and then you put the technology on top of it right so beer systems in general are expensive by the time you go through the glycol system or whatever yeah. you know even a direct or a direct draw system you know they get kind of costly uh, so that you know, we had these custom-built kegerators to um, basically take, you know, whatever it was, 32 taps, and there were remote, you know, remote compressors and condensers on a roof, and then we had a glycol system because we wanted the perfect temperature. So on top of it being in a kegerator already, we put a glycol system into it to chill the so heads. That doubled down. I didn't realize you did that. So oh, yeah, we doubled down. I mean, you got, you know, we wanted our beer to be perfect. Listen, if you're going to be known as, you know, <laughs> you know, all these beer place you got to have you got to pour a perfect beer right otherwise it's you're going to shoot yourself in the foot i mean although the, you know a lot of the people pouring may not know how to be pouring the perfect beer uh so the process works is this right you walk in you sit down at the table you tell the server hey we're going to do some beers they check your id they come give you a little card you run the little card up against this little scanner thing and then it logs how many ounces you've poured out and then when you get to the front counter, they're like, hey, you owe us $70. <laughs> it, that's my, that was my experience, essentially. And, like, I wasn't mad by any means. I had a handful of beers. I was very happy. Yeah, it was it like does, going it to the bar. It does tell you and, along the way, though, yeah, what, you're, yeah. what you're pouring. Totally. Um, but the fact is, like, it was very cool to be able to just go sit up in the front, yourself, yeah. go get my beer myself, you know. You don't have to wait for a bartender. There's none of that. But being a bartender, you completely forget that you could stop pouring the beer. <laughs> so I was drinking the full beers instead of tasting all the beers. Like, yeah. I just was just autopilot to fill the beer all the way to the top. <laughs> I kept forgetting to stop. So uh, we thought it was a great idea to put bigger glasses in, right? There you go. <laughs> so we figured to put bigger glasses in, people pour bigger, bigger beer, bigger wine. Let me tell you, man, when someone pours a $20 glass of wine, yeah. they're pissed. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we changed that real quick. We went back to a small glasses for wine. Frankie and Fenucci's, home of the beer stein. Uh, so, so, I mean, this helps out. Also, again, the, like we the said. Weinstein. The Weinstein. Weinstein. You were like one of the first people out here with that yeah. installed. So, yes, it is a little bit different. It's cool to have something like that. And that room that you have in the front, what makes that even better was the audio. 
The speakers that are in that room are flawless. The sound is perfect. You sit in that little room and whatever music's playing, you hear that in quality. It's not like the bass is too high, the bass is too low. Yeah. It's perfect. That, that whole room. Accident, it was a perfect accident because yeah. I was sitting there. <laughs> Just went to Best Buy, found a best system, put a price, and we put it in. Being and a sound guy, constantly walking into a restaurant. And he, you would, know, he would notice that. Too. Yeah. It's like one of the, yeah, I, but you don't realize, like, yeah, I'm noticing it because I focus on that. But somebody else sitting there, they don't notice it, but they feel it without yeah. noticing that they feel it. Of course. Correct. Listen, ambiance is like key to restaurants, right? You have to have that vibe. It's it's the worst thing when you walk into a place and it's just stagnant, right? I was told by somebody that you guys will not change the volume level, even if they ask. Is that true? I feel like I heard that you as know, well. You know, it, it, we believe in that. And I don't think our managers ever adhere to it. <laughs> and when a customer asks me, I lower it anyway. It's like so hard because we're in the hospitality yeah. business, right. right? I want to make you happy, yeah. right? But unfortunately, making that one guest happy is probably making everybody else unhappy. Right. Yeah, and it's also so we do it to slow. like, to, yeah, exactly. And we do it to a, you know, some reasonable limit. I like yeah. to play when they when they ask. If they're the only, if it's early and they're the only people in here, I'm like, whatever. They're the yeah. only ones here. I'll do whatever you want. But as soon as it gets a little you know, busy, you're like, oh, I want a certain answer. It's like, the tra- you know, music level goes down, lights go up. Your, Pretty much. Your average age goes up of your <laughs> my, clientele. My, my, my favorite play is when they, when they ask, I say, yeah, no problem. And then don't do it. And then yeah. you don't do it. Oh, that's, that's a given. You, you, you go over, last you go at least, thing at least two anything. to three times before yeah. anything changes, <laughs> right, right. including the thermostat. <laughs> How are you with the hiring process right now? Are it's, you hired up for the summer? No. Terrible. It, are it's you finding terrible. the same difficult Nobody situation? This is this is an industry wide problem right now. We we really haven't talked about it enough to be honest with you. Like I know we like glance over it every once in a while. I promise you, you can walk into any any good restaurant right now and they're looking for at least five or six people. Yeah. Are interviews being conducted and just people don't no show back up? up? No one responds. We it used to be where people would respond to the ad, get a lot of responses, right? A handful of people would show up. You basically hire someone, tell them to come in, and then they don't show up, right? And then it just gradually gets worse, right? So now we're at the point where we're not even getting leads. People aren't even responding to the ads. I saw a uh, line cook ad posted on Instagram the other day for a restaurant in the city. They're willing to pay their cooks between 25 and $27 an hour. Nobody's applying. Wild. That circles back to what I thought was a meme, but it actually probably wasn't. It was like McDonald's somewhere in the south yeah, offering like ten dollars no, for somebody it, to come in. You, they're giving you a hundred dollars just to sit down for an interview, and then it's some <laughs> crazy two hundred fifty dollar bonus if you take the job. Like that's what's gonna come to. This yeah. is like this is a crazy situation. I and I know Justice said because everyone's just sitting on unemployment, like enjoying life, getting paid to do nothing. Yeah. It's it's two part. It's the unemployment, and then a lot of people just left the industry. Well, that yeah, and that certainly is yeah. is the case. How do you suspect to maybe get through this hardship of looking for people and being staffed up and listen? You know, is yeah. life just hell for another couple months? Roll up the sleeves. You know, fill in, like when a pandemic hit, a lot of our counter staff were younger teenagers, you know, answering phones, like typical, right? Obviously, they didn't come back to work because their parents wouldn't let them, which I wouldn't let my kid either. So what was I doing? I was answering phones because that's where the shortage was. And then I went from that to, you know, the more technical stuff where making pizza, where there's just so much demand for kitchen staff that they're just looking to get another job um, for cash, which is another thing. People want to come in, but they want cash only. It, those days are over. Yeah, because they want to stay on unemployment. I'm exactly. Sure. So if you can't compete in that, and if you're, you know, maybe if you're a little mom and pop with a couple employees and you have one or two people that are off the books, you might get away with it. But when you have a full staff and multiple restaurants, it's just, it's just not worth it. Plus, there's just not that much cash around anymore. Yeah. That, that's another that's another actual problem that exists correct sure okay so with obviously the future we're not looking to get back into expansion we're still in contraction mode to some extent yeah as of right now i mean our my brooklyn location um is temporary closed right now looking to move to a new spot um but that's rather than that really i'm just trying to get things kind of settled again you know, um, 
we've lost a lot of employees. So just trying to build up the team again and get back to an infrastructure that allows you to expand. Lastly, before we let you go here, in any of the new spots that you're going to go into, I'm sure you'll be checking the air ducts first. Make them dummy proof. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if we were going to get to that. I like the way you just slid that in there. I, I recall the story from a few years back uh, where, where the burglar you, so cut dug, his way into deep, the house. Huh? <laughs> you dug deep, huh? So, so it's one day, manager comes into the restaurant, setting up for, we used to do a lot of catering events. Manager setting up uh, for the party and some banging going on in the roof. He didn't think anything of it, thinking that, I don't know, maybe it's a loose belt or something. Other guys come in in the kitchen, hey, do me a favor, go up on a roof, see what's what's going on, maybe it's a belt, we have to call the HVAC guy. He goes up there, guy goes up there, there's like a slit on the side of the air duct, like right where the expansion um, kind of joint is, so it's like rubber, and it's bent open. Guy comes down, he's like, oh man, I think an animal got into the, into the thing. So he's like, no, it can't be. So then again start hearing bang and bang and bang and so they went back up again and they kind of like stuck their head in the hole and they hear somebody screaming help <laughs> help so 911 fire department comes basically takes a guy out of the duck system i was trying to break in overnight it's ridiculous like you think you've heard it all right and get stuck head first couldn't get out <laughs> now, mind you, it's like, you know, maybe it's in August. Uh, I remember like God July, damn. August time. If there was not a party that day in that room, that system would not have been on, right? That guy would have died there. There was no way. A 5,000 square foot restaurant, there's a whole catering room that if you're not having a party, you're not using it. It's off. Right. Right? No, nah, I mean, not for nothing, but eventually, not to go dark, you would have smelt it. <laughs> well, too late then, but... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Learn something today? Dig deeper into email segmenting as developing a personalized journey for your customers can bring you a huge ROI. Check out Frankie and Finucci's online and be sure to be following the Waiting on Fries podcast on Spotify or Apple Music for more great stories released every Thursday. This has been another episode of On the Record.